Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. When you're with the Flintstones, have a yabba-dabba-do time. A dabba-do time will have a gay old time. Now, I watched the Flintstones as a kid, but I had no clue Barney and Fred were in a homosexual relationship. I never knew that, but it's right there in the lyrics. They're out there running around town having a gay old time. Now, what's wrong with my last statement? I am not correctly interpreting the word gay in its proper context. When those song lyrics were written, gay was a word referring to someone being happy or excited. The author of those lyrics was not trying to convey to the audience anything about a homosexual relationship. For this example, I was reading back into the lyrics a concept from my own time period, which is being gay didn't mean then what it means now. Now, the Roman Catholic Church does the same thing with words like tradition and church. They'll find quotations from early church fathers or even verses in the Bible and say, see there, the Bible tells us to hold fast to the traditions of the church. Now, I'm going to take a deeper look at some of those verses today, and here is the question I want you to ask yourself. When the Bible uses the word tradition, does it mean what the Roman Catholic Church says tradition means? Does that word come with all the baggage the Roman Catholic Church puts with it? Does it refer to a set of dogmas not mentioned in Scripture or, at best, vaguely alluded to in Scripture? So that is the purpose for today's episode. Now, you can always connect with me, bearchristianity at gmail.com. Also, on Instagram, you can message me at the Real Bear Martin. And this episode of Bear Christianity is sponsored by the It's Just Allergies Jewelry Collection. In a post-COVID world, you are not allowed to sneeze or cough in public without promptly giving an explanation. That's why you need to wear the luxurious jewelry from It's Just Allergies. Clear your throat, cough, sneeze, or sniff, and the It's Just Allergies jewelry will announce to the public they don't have to worry because it's just allergies. This proprietary jewelry line has built-in microscopic speakers with volume capacity up to 10 times the decibels of the average human voice. Each piece of jewelry is linked to the sounds its owners make because of allergies, so you never have to explain yourself again. Bear Christianity listeners will receive a free clearance item when they use the coupon code POLLEN. Clearance items include any jewelry from the I've Been Vaccinated or I've Had My First Booster Collections. It's just allergies. Let us say it for you. It's just allergies. Earrings may cause hearing loss. Details may vary. Some restrictions may apply. A common argument from the Roman Catholics against Protestants is that we cannot possibly know the fullness of God's truth without the teaching of the church. If we don't have the church, then we will all fall into all kinds of errors, and that is why we have so many different Protestant denominations today. This assumes that the Roman Catholic Church has complete unity among its members, but this is certainly not the case. Catholics are in a constant debate about how to interpret the writings of previous church councils, councils which supposedly proclaim infallibly the truth from God. So if scripture cannot be understood without an interpreter like the Roman Catholic Magisterium, then I guess we also need an infallible interpreter for the documents produced by the infallible church. So there are plenty of disagreements within Catholicism. There are extremely liberal Catholics and extremely conservative Catholics. 
And even though there are similarities, you can find very different beliefs among Catholics. However, all Catholics on a basic level hold to a set of common beliefs. The same is true for Protestantism. For example, Presbyterian and Baptist pastors often teach and preach at the same church conferences. They collaborate on books together. So there is unity among Protestants on a core set of beliefs, and there are differences on other beliefs. So in one sense, there is strong unity. In another sense, there is division. Roman Catholicism is the same way, so it is unfair for Catholics to insist that their church has some kind of miraculous unity compared to Protestantism. When it comes to the idea of tradition, there are two primary views among Roman Catholics. The first one is called the partum partum view. And that's partum, P-A-R-T-I-M, partum, partum view. Now, this is Latin for partly, partly, and was a phrase used in the first draft of the Council of Trent. This view says that the fullness of God's truth is found partly from Scripture and partly from oral tradition. So they are two separate sources of truth. Neither are sufficient within themselves. Written scripture and oral tradition are both needed. So furthermore, this oral tradition contains information passed down directly from the apostles, and it is historical in nature. Uh, These traditions supposedly were part of church history from the beginning. Now, this becomes difficult to defend from the Catholic perspective because some of these Roman Catholic dogmas are not mentioned by anyone in church history until hundreds of years after the death of the apostles. It's tough to believe that such important information was completely ignored for so long. So the first draft, kind of kind of like the rough draft at the Council of Trent, used the phrase partum partum, but there was some pushback from a minority of the attendees. And so the final version reads when speaking about the gospel that, quote, truth and discipline are contained in the written books and the unwritten traditions, end quote. So it's a little more vague so that everybody was happy. Uh, the New Catholic Catechism says this regarding the partum partum view. Neither tradition nor scripture contain the whole apostolic tradition. Scripture is materially insufficient, requiring oral tradition as a complement to be the true whole divine revelation. So some Catholics hold to this partum partum view, and that is that scripture and tradition are materially insufficient. And so other Catholics believe scripture is what they call materially sufficient. And that's the other view. So material sufficiency is the second view about tradition. And this view of of Roman Catholic tradition holds that scripture contains all the teachings of the Roman Catholic dogmas, even if they are only implied. And so since it is quite a stretch to find even hints of some of these Roman Catholic dogmas within the pages of scripture, this is where that good old concept of tradition developing within the church like an acorn into an oak tree comes into play. Now, of course, this development of doctrine is all guided by the Holy Spirit, according to the Roman Catholic Church. Therefore, if Roman Catholics can just find a trace of what possibly could be mentioning a dogma, if they can just find a trace of that in Scripture, something that just sort of hints at it in Scripture, that is enough for them. They'll say Scripture is materially sufficient, and then that that dogma has developed within the church over time until the church eventually declares it to be an infallible dogma of the church.
So the material sufficiency view of Scripture and tradition is very ambiguous. So this does make it much easier to defend when meeting Protestant opposition because they don't have to try to find the full dogma as part of ancient history or or even within scripture they just need a just a trace just barely a hint or anything that they can sort of pick out and and say oh well there it is in scripture it's just got to to develop into its full form uh, so those are two differing views of roman catholic tradition the catholic answers website has a tract entitled scripture and tradition and here's the the definition of tradition given quote sacred or apostolic tradition consists of the teachings that the apostles passed on orally through their preaching these teachings largely perhaps entirely overlap with those contained in scripture but the mode of their transmission is different end quote notice the largely perhaps entirely language is used to include both the partum partum view as well as this material sufficiency view. So instead of providing us with any words or creeds from the apostles, the Roman Catholic Church just gets to claim authority to contemplate some sort of nebulous tradition, supposedly from the apostles, and then come up with dogmas based off of that. Now, once that dogma has been declared, then the Roman Catholic Church searches through scripture and church history for any buzzwords or concepts which may in some way align with their dogma. Once again, it all comes down to the idea of sola ecclesia, or the church alone. Just trust the church. That's what the Roman Catholics will say. Just trust the church. The Roman Catholic Church will tell you what scripture means, and they will tell you what tradition is. In 1870, at the First Vatican Council, the dogma of papal infallibility was declared. The Pope at the time was Pope Pius IX. Now, John O'Malley is a Roman Catholic priest. In his book on, on Vatican I, he mentions a statement by Pope Pius IX. Now, the Pope was confronted by a, one of his cardinals who had some disagreements about this dogma of papal infallibility. And according to O'Malley, Pope Pius IX responded, I am tradition, I am the church. So what is tradition exactly? It seems to be whatever the Roman Catholic Church says it is, sola ecclesia. So is it proper biblical interpretation to look back into the Bible, find the word tradition, and then interpret that word as meaning everything the Roman Catholic claims tradition is today? That is the question I want you to ask yourself. Now, the Greek word paradosis is what is translated as tradition in most English Bibles, and it is used 13 times in the New Testament. The majority of these uses are in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, and I will discuss these next week. The remaining five are, are mentioned by Paul in, in his various letters, and I will read them all for you today at some point. So the reason I'm reading them is because the word tradition by Paul is used to refer to the general gospel message or sometimes to his instructions on church order and procedures. It is a far stretch to assume that tradition in these verses you know, means all that the Roman Catholic Church says it means. So here's the first one, 1 Corinthians 11.2. Paul says this, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. Now, right after this verse, Paul goes on to discuss head coverings for women in the church. Notice Paul commends them for maintaining the traditions he delivered to them. 
Now, a few verses down, though, Paul will correct them on some other things regarding the Lord's Supper. So in the, and, and so it says this, 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. So within the context here, Paul says, I commend you for maintaining the, the traditions. And then a few verses down in the very next section, you know, a lot of times our Bibles will sort of break up things into sections. In the very next section of my Bible, the very first verse reads, Paul says in the, in the following instructions, I do do not commend you. And so these two verses are linked by the word commend. He commends them for some things and does not commend them for others. So Paul taught in Corinth for about a year and a half personally, and then he leaves and goes and you know to other churches, starts other churches, and then writes back letters to them, and that's that's where we have First and Second Corinthians. Um, so I think it is reasonable to interpret traditions here as instructions that Paul gave the church in Corinth while he was with them. Another verse that is is similar to this in context is 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Uh, but I'm going to read verses 6 through 8 to give you, again, the more of the context. So 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 8. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. So Paul Paul says, stay away from any brother who is not walking in accord with the tradition you received from us. And what tradition is that? It's Paul's instruction that anyone who does not work should not eat. So evidently, some people in the church were taking advantage of the charity of other hardworking Christians, and possibly other teachers claiming authority from God were teaching but not willing to work to pay for their own needs. Now, this is a far cry from tradition, meaning dogmas necessary for one's salvation, which would not be declared infallible until 1870 or later. So here are the other ways the word paradosis, which again is translated tradition, here's some other ways that it's used by Paul. In Galatians 1.14, Paul says this, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. This is Paul was a Pharisee before becoming a Christian, and this is just talking about how the Pharisees had their own body of tradition, and I'll talk more about this next week. Now, Colossians 2.8 is another one. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And so you know, here we again, we have Paul sort of warning against people following human tradition rather than traditions by God. Now, our last verse where tradition is mentioned by Paul is the big one. So this is the main passage that Roman Catholics will use to try to support their concept of Scripture and tradition. For a more thorough argument on the Roman Catholic side, uh, check out that tract. I've mentioned it earlier. It's entitled Scripture and Tradition. You can find that at www.catholic.com, and that's that's the Catholic Answers website. So there's a little search bar on that website. If you just type in Scripture and Tradition, it, it should be one of the top things that pops up. So here's the, the main verse. It's 2 Thessalonians 2.15, but I'm going to read a few verses before that. So starting in verse 13. 
Paul says this, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So there you have it, right there in the Bible. Hold to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And and Catholics would say, you see Protestants right there, scripture and oral tradition right there. Now, I want you to notice a few things, though. These traditions were already taught. They had already been delivered by Paul and his missionary team to the church in Thessalonica. There is nothing here about some sort of tradition that is not yet in its full form, some kind of tradition that is contemplated by the highest authorities in the church until the doctrine grows into its full truth. Rather than encouraging the Thessalonians to ponder and develop this acorn of truth into a broader oak tree of doctrine, Paul tells them to stand firm and hold fast to what was taught to them. They already have the information in totality. It shouldn't take over a thousand years for it to develop within the church. They already have it right then in the first century. And not just the church leadership, not just the bishops or the teaching authorities of the church, but all the members of the church in Thessalonica, Paul preached to the whole church. So that pretty much wipes out the interpretation that this tradition here in 2 Thessalonians refers to the tradition which which has developed from an acorn into an oak tree by the Roman Catholic magisterium. Now, we must ask, what is Paul talking about when he uses the word tradition in this verse? This tradition, according to Paul, came in two ways to the Thessalonians, by spoken word and by letter. When Paul first visited Thessalonica, of course, Paul's message was orally preached to them. But then later, Paul writes them a letter. We have two of them, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians today. So in 2nd Thessalonians, when Paul tells the church to hold fast to the traditions taught to them, either by spoken word or by letter, Paul is talking about the same information, not totally separate sets of tradition that are different from what is written. Furthermore, Paul is referring to the gospel message. The immediate context supports that. The verse right before Paul talks about this tradition says this, it's it's 2 Thessalonians 2.14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, hold fast and stand firm in the tradition we taught you. The, the Greek word stand or stand firm is used by Paul six other times in his letters to various churches, and in all but one of them, it is used when Paul is talking about standing firm because of the gospel, standing firm in the Lord, standing firm in the faith. First uh, Corinthians sixteen thirteen is an example. Paul says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. So there's very strong contextual evidence that the traditions mentioned here are the details of the gospel message. It's just, it's as simple as that. Does this gospel message contain the perpetual virginity of Mary and papal infallibility? So in episode five, I discuss 1 Corinthians 15 and use it as a primary evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul quotes what many scholars believe is an early church creed, giving the details of the gospel. So listen to how this passage begins. Paul describes obtaining it using language which resembles tradition being passed down. So it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through eight. 
Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And so that that language right there is is tradition. That is, it's being passed down orally. Paul is preaching it to him. Now, what was he preaching? So let, let's continue. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So were there traditions passed on to these churches, these communities by the apostles? I certainly believe so, but there is zero evidence these traditions contain different information than what is found elsewhere in Scripture. These oral traditions were simply creeds or summaries which could easily be memorized by illiterate people. They may have been in poetic or musical form for memorization purposes as well. So was there tradition in the early church? Absolutely. But it takes Roman Catholic interpreter goggles to see the word tradition and and read the verse as if this is speaking of what the Roman Catholic Church says tradition means today. Another way that Roman Catholics will argue their position is to use examples of Jesus or the apostles teaching things orally or the early church listening to the teaching of the apostles. So a proof verse that is given in this Catholic Answers uh, Scripture and Tradition tract is Acts 2.42. It says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, this verse, the the context of this verse, takes place right after Peter preached his sermon at Pentecost. So it is the earliest church. In fact, the church only exists in Jerusalem at this point. They, They haven't dispersed yet. No one's being persecuted for their beliefs. Stephen hasn't been stoned yet. It's all right there in Jerusalem. And so the context of this is likely, easily, within the within six months of Jesus' resurrection. So the very first Christians were all coming to hear the apostles talk about papal infallibility at, you know, gathering at the temple in Jerusalem, or, or about the perpetual virginity of Mary. Papal infallibility would not be a dogma until over 1,800 years later, yet that is what the, the earliest church was coming to hear the, the apostles teach. Maybe James, the brother of Jesus and also an apostle, taught about how his mother was somehow still a virgin. You know, may, that would have been a, a, a strange teaching from the from the apostles. So, you know, again, to to try to read back into time this these ideas of tradition is very strange. It, it's it's a very weird way of trying to find that in Scripture. So here's another example that's used in the Scripture and Tradition tract by Catholic Answers. Quote, Paul himself gives a quotation from Jesus that was handed down orally to him. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and then they, they mention Acts, uh, they cite Acts 20, 35. Now, Here's what's interesting. How do we know about this oral tradition that is passed down from Jesus to Paul? Is it because the Pope and the Magisterium acquired this quotation, which was passed from Jesus to Paul to a countless number of people in authoritative positions in the Catholic Church? 
No, we have this oral tradition from Jesus because it is recorded in Scripture. The, the Roman Catholic Church, again, this is really important. The Roman Catholic Church does not claim to know any specific words passed down by Jesus or the apostles. They, they, have no, they cannot say this was an oral tradition by Jesus and the apostles as far as the like a word or a phrase or a proverb. They have never declared any of that infallible. There are no words by Jesus or the apostles that the Roman Catholic Church will say, Jesus or the apostles said this, other than what is found in Scripture. Now, if you have the authority to declare what traditions are, and you also have the authority to tell people what Scripture means, then you can come up with whatever tradition you want. There are no safeguards against false traditions. So how can you know the Roman Catholic Church is truthful? How can you test them? I know how. You trust the Pope. You trust the magisterium. You trust the Roman Catholic Church. Remember Pope Pius IX? He says, I am tradition. Tradition is what the church tells you tradition is. So in closing, at best, the best a Catholic can prove from the Bible is that Paul gave certain oral instructions on how the church should conduct itself and also traditions about the gospel message. And I believe an example of this gospel tradition is given to us in 1 Corinthians 15, the passage about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So the idea that tradition was given in an immature form and had to develop over time by guidance of the Holy Spirit and contemplation by the magisterium, that idea is completely wiped away because Paul says the tradition, whatever that means, that whatever Paul meant by tradition, it was already delivered to the, the church. They had all the information and it didn't need to develop any further. So the only way the Roman Catholics can argue that the Bible defends their idea of tradition is to try to say that all their dogmas were taught by the apostles to the earliest members of Christianity. And my response to this would be, if the dogmas were taught in their full form to the earliest Christians, then why did it take so long for the Roman Catholic Church to declare them dogmatic? Keep this in mind. These Roman Catholic dogmas are not just beliefs. They, they are not... They are not just something that, uh, they're not an opinion, okay? Because there are, I, I have lots of friends who have lots of different opinions about Christianity and Bible interpretation and all that stuff. I, I have many, and, and, and I'm okay with that. You know, if you're trying to be biblical and go to the Bible and, and defend from there, I'm okay with, with people having different opinions on things that the, the Bible is not as clear on. But, this is, these are not just beliefs. These are not just opinions. The Roman Catholic Church says they are required beliefs. So when someone or some church tries to say, you must believe this to be saved, and if you know about it but still reject it, you are going to hell, then they better be able to back it up with solid evidence. So that is the claim of the Roman Catholic Church. These dogmas are so important and so trustworthy that if you reject them, you are on your way to hell. And so th this is this is a that's why I've spent so much time on this topic because this is a huge issue. This is extremely important. I know I've been a bit repetitive on this idea of tradition. 
Um, but there are many angles to look at the differences between sola scriptura and sola ecclesia. So next week should wrap up this discussion, and I will discuss Jesus' disagreement with the Pharisees regarding one of their man-made traditions. So for our closing verse, the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of breaking one of the traditions of the elders, and Jesus responds. It's in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Jesus says, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Thank you.